you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world, raise $130 million in growth funding, and can help you fast-track product market fit and, where relevant, the launch of your token economy. Today, I'm really happy to welcome on Hugh Karp of Nexus Mutual. Welcome, Hugh. Great to be here, Jamie. Good to be on. So um, Nexus is described as people-powered alternative to insurance. You use smart contracts on the Ethereum public chain to allow for discretionary policy cover, which is similar to but not quite the same as insurance, and we'll unpack that a little bit later. You operate similar to how a, a mutual insurer might in that you allow similar users to share risk, in this case, users of DeFi, um, where in the past, historically, it might have been, say, farmers or, or an emerging shipping industry that face um, very specific forms of risk that the traditional insurance industry would struggle to cover quantify price and, uh, and what have you. Um, you do all of this via a specialized legal entity in the UK. And so that allows you to offer a decentralized alternative to, uh, regular to, to the regular insurance industry. So some of the reasons why I've got you on the show. So I'm in the process of forming my thesis at Outlier Ventures on how we collectively, as an industry, increase institutional adoption of DeFi. And the management of risk seems to be one of those recurring themes when you speak to institutions, the spectrum of institutions, and one of the important blockers. So risk management in crypto, and of course, especially in DeFi, is complex, highly technical, um, but I guess no different to ensuring any other new industry, any other new emergent industry. And as I said, historically, there's lots of precedents of that happening in insurance. So insurance in DeFi, to me, feels like the next critical layer to get added to the DeFi stack. Now, interestingly, Nexus launched way back in 2017, which is light years ago in the context of crypto. Um, most importantly, before there was a lot of this DeFi hype, and the fact is you're still here. So congratulations on that to, to start with. You are definitely ahead of the curve and you've managed to sustain and from what I can see um, to continue to grow and, and, and succeed. So I want to understand you know, how, how you've made that happen. Um, but, all, but also, unusually for DeFi, you, you also have a professional background in your domain, that of insurance, I believe over... 15 years of experience as an actuary. Um, and for context, for listeners, an actuary is somebody who deals with the measurement and management of risk and uncertainty. So looking forward to unpicking, unraveling your your founder story, the last three years of experience. Yeah, cool. No, that, uh, thanks for the introduction. Yeah, it's been a um, it's been a bit of a journey so far. And, you know, um, I guess insurance has always been talked about as one of those things that some blockchain technology can actually um, do really well. Um, but, and it's always been the, like the originals, I think it was referenced in the original Ethereum kind of um, when it was launched and stuff. Um, but, but it's quite, it's quite challenging to do. So I guess we've been working on it for a while and, um, and especially with DeFi coming up, um, especially in the past like three months or something, it's been, it's been really good to um, be there and be able to su support that growth as well. And it's obviously been great for, for Nexus as well. 
Yeah, so well done for sticking around because, of course, it's not always easy to be right if you're right early um, because you then have this you know, huge gap of time, which you somehow need to finance, to be um, right and timely. And uh, I think certainly whenever I've heard discussions around blockchain and insurance, it's usually been you know people in suits talking about how blockchain could, in theory, bring about efficiencies to the existing insurance industry. And I guess with the advent of DeFi, um, we're actually building up this kind of bottom-up capital market, and therefore you don't have a lot of the constraints or legacy um, things to, to to account for. You can kind of build almost a, a pure form of perhaps what the end state would be for the existing insurance industry. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how you as a founder kind of navigate that go-to-market between what is DeFi today and and if this stuff becomes more generalizable for the wider insurance industry. So to just give some context to you as a founder, as I said, you've got you know, 15 years in insurance and um, you actually studied, uh, actu- uh, I don't know how to pronounce that, actuarial studies. <laughs> That's a, a, a tricky one from the Australian National University graduating in 2001. Um, you then worked as an actuary in life insurance from uh, 2002 to 2011 at MLC and NAB Wealth. Um, and then you did a six-year stint at Munich Re, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I moved to London and worked for, for Munich Re in, in the UK. Um, yeah, for quite a while and ended up being the, the CFO for their life operations. So, um, yeah, quite, quite a few different things in the, in the insurance industry. So that's 2012 to 18. You kind of climbed pretty quickly. So from you know, product development actuary, then head of financial reporting, and then, as you say, CFO for life, UK and Ireland. So you must be good at golf, right? I imagine somebody that climbs that aggressively in the corporate world is good at golf. Yeah, I'm actually really terrible at golf. Oh, um, okay. But, you know, um, it, there's, there are, of course, all of those types of events that the regular insurance industry does. So, yeah, um, lots of um, deals in pubs and stuff like that. I guess that's how it works. It's a bit old school. It's totally yeah. different Totally different to how things are working right now, um, which, which is, in my mind, it's good. Yeah, right. Okay, so you, you, must, have, uh, you must have done that climb based on actual competency then rather than golf, golf playing abilities and socialising. Then in 2017, you founded Nexus Mutual. You conducted a token sale, right? And um, you chose, so you're already based in the UK, but I, I think... You've chosen to continue to have Nexus Mutual to be based in the UK. Um, when I was doing some desk research, I mean, I knew insurance was big in the UK, but it's, I believe, the fourth largest insurance industry in the world. Yeah, like yeah, London and London is kind of a historical home of insurance, especially with Lloyd's and and everything um, being built here. So it is a massive, um, massive market, and cl- obviously close ties into all the other um, big markets like Bermuda and etc. So. Um, so yeah, it's it's a um, it's a hub for insurance knowledge, which is it's a really good place to be. So um, it's kind of that hybrid <laughs> approach. Like you've, you've got the um, expertise and access to that the insurance world, um, but it's also a good blockchain hub as well. Well, long may that continue. I actually had Prime Minister Bert of Bermuda on on the show not too long ago, um, talking about Bermuda's 
role in the global ecosystem around reinsurance, reinsurance capital of the world. And as you say, this kind of linkage between the city of London um, and not to be confused with the kind of metropolis, but the city of London uh, and, you know, this kind of wider um, group of dominions which kind of specialise in, in um, capital markets and uh, this kind of offshore system. So if we look at, you know, wh- where you are now, as I said, as I'm kind of building out this thesis about what institutional DeFi could look like, um, increasingly the way that I think and talk about crypto is that we've had this decade of effectively building up a bottom-up capital market kind of sequentially, um, like layer from from money, you know, through to um, currency, and we've got stable coins, and now we've got lending and borrowing. And so it feels like a natural conclusion or next step that um, an insurance layer uh, is needed to make that a functioning economy, functioning capital market, and to allow for this financial services industry to, to, to grow around it. Um, but are you, was your original starting point to create something initially native to crypto and Web3, or was it to kind of leverage some of the efficiency gains and apply it to the existing insurance world? And did, did that change or evolve as things like DeFi came about? Yeah, so we, um, I mean, the original idea was to build like, um, and still is, to, to kind of build um, this kind of generalized um, platform where you can cover any type of risk. Um, and so we actually started building it for Earthquake Cover. We did a proof of concept with Earthquake Cover um, way back. And then and then it wasn't very long until we realized the number of people that were in crypto that were likely to use our platform and wanted Earthquake Cover was very, very small. <laughs> um, and so we, we pivoted. And I think one of the um, things where... Um, triggering that was like, you know, I watched the Dow be drained live, um, came into work one day and saw the money coming out. And I was like, okay, wow. Um, like there's some risk here. Then if we're going to be successful, then, then we're going to need some native cover in the crypto world. And, and, and so that's kind of how we, why we pivoted and are offering smart contract cover. So to have cover against the hacks in, in smart contracts. Um, and that's, but that's just kind of the start. I kind of view here, kind of going back to your point is like, it doesn't matter what, industry it is if it's a new industry in whatever form um like insurance is kind of like fundamental financial infrastructure it kind of needs it needs to be there so that people can can take risk and do new things like um you know nothing nothing's like you know it's just boring like rocket ships don't get launched or train lines don't get built or whatever and nothing happens if, if there's not kind of underlying insurance markets there um to kind of take off that um that risk so, so i guess that's what we're trying to provide and more, more, um, more generally, within within crypto, like it's very hard to get access to the regular insurance industry because there's just a big knowledge gap and it's quite technical. Um, and <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. And the, and the market's just perhaps not quite big enough yet for the big insurers to put some, um, you know, research and capability and um, resources behind it. So it's really good for a, um, it works really well for any kind of community-based solution to, to, to bootstrap this thing and, and um, um, provide the solutions to begin with. Yeah, so maybe before we go into, we go deeply into understanding risk in 
DeFi and crypto and the kind of specific offering or constituent parts of Nexus Mutual. Um, it, it would be good to just do a very quick 101 on insurance and the reinsurance market. I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand the reinsurance market in particular, but also this idea of um, the mutualization of risk in a kind of historical context. Yeah, so, I mean, insurance companies kind of started way, way, way back, hundreds of millennia ago, hundreds of years, millennia, more, quite a long time, um, as like just community-based mutuals, essentially. So basically, the community pulled money together and then someone, usually the elders of the community or something, decided when claim payouts were made, whether that was supporting the worker had lost their life or whatever, supporting the rest of the family, et cetera, stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, it often developed from like deep within the community. And then as things progressed and um, developed, then it became more um, financialized, like standardized particular um, institutions came in to kind of do particular um, things like the, the shipping industry is a good one where it started with just individuals backing certain risks and then and then it became standardized contracts and you get and then you kind of have a company set up that kind of takes a lot of the risks and backs many of them and diversifies and then that turns into an insurance company and etc so they kind of start like that and then they kind of transform into like shareholder-based companies. And I think it's that's probably one important distinction um, is like mutual kind of structures are all done for the members. And um, all that means if there's you know money left over, then it, it's owned by the members. Whereas with a shareholder-based company, you it's obviously owned by the, the shareholders. And so you kind of um, have this, um, there's a different kind of alignment of interest type um, issue to, to, to think about. So, that's kind of how very briefly um, how kind of insurance has um, progressed over time. And I guess a reinsurance layer um, more specifically is about um, really insuring the insurance companies. So for, for usually the more catastrophic events or to allow them to write more business quite quickly. So those are the two main reasons you would get reinsurers involved. So reinsurance tend to like be B2B um, type um, structures, big lots of capital, writing big big deals behind the scenes. And they often work for like, make sure we get capital efficient structures and things like that. So um, yeah, they're, they're not really well kind of known to the um, you know, everyday people. In the, and presumably, um, just because you don't have you know, interactions the, with them, but they're, they're the lack of companies a reinsurer the in a nascent industry is one of the constraints about the amount of liability that um, any one entity can can cover whether that's I guess in a in a crypto or DeFi context a protocol or um, a kind of corporate entity, um, but also you know if you think about some of these mutuals like very prevalent um, in on on the continent in in Europe, you know these are incredibly large financial institutions now as you say they might have morphed out of uh, kind of a, a farmers kind of cooperative or mutual, but now become you know, almost like a high street insurer. And, you know, what they then do as a player in the capital markets, how they invest money um, is also kind of, can you see, can you see these entities or protocols becoming um, beyond, beyond the actual act and function of insurance, becoming participants in reinvesting in assets and collateral in the wider ecosystem? 
Um, yeah, potentially. I think that's more of a, <laughs> that'll take a while, but I think they'll probably get there eventually. Um, there's quite a few barriers, but, um, but, you know, like regulatory, can they hold crypto assets or something like that? Um, you know, the regulator kind of has to approve stuff. Um, and then you've also got things like, does it make sense to hold riskier assets on your balance sheet when you, the main purpose is to hold assets to, to back claims and you, therefore you want more um kind of lower yielding but um and lower risk um assets. So, you know, but but definitely there's a lot of money sitting there in, in insurance companies and like mutual mutuals as well, um, as well as like pension funds and stuff that um obviously is not going to enter right now. Um is a fair way away. But um but we need to kind of as a kind of web three industry kind of start ticking those boxes so that they can come at, at later points. As these protocols or organizations in the DeFi space become better collateralized, you know, they might look at how they can deliver yield. We all know kind of the, the importance of yield in the DeFi context um, through deploying that capital um, through different different instruments, different mechanisms. Um, so let's talk about Nexus Mutual, um, how it's structured its constituent parts. So as I mentioned, um, there is this governance token, but... And as I understand it, a big principle is that it's a non-custodial, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, so what we've what we've done is we try. Um, the, the goal is to operate this thing as a DAO, but it's not kind of um, technically a DAO because you know I guess you know there's there's a spectrum of these things. But um, the the whole idea is it's non-custodial, and the members decide on the key operations of the mutual. So that's they. They complete actions to kind of price um, the risk um, and they also assess the claims and they also vote in governance to update parameters or the system if, if, they, if they want to. And so um, it's definitely non-custodial run by smart contracts. But I guess the interesting thing about what we're doing is we actually also have a legal entity in the UK. And so the DAO is actually... Um, the way it's actually structured is um, you have a membership organization in the UK, Nexus Mutual Limited, and when you join the, the DAO, you actually become a member of that company. And um, that provides essentially a, it's a kind of a legal wrapper that gives you limited liability on a per member basis, which is quite something quite um, interesting. And in my opinion, it has a lot of value, but it also um, provides some certainty and allows us to contract with the outside non-blockchain world um, yeah. as well, which which can <laughs> be quite useful in certain circumstances. Um, but it all, I guess more broadly, it kind of gives us that legal and regulatory clarity on what we're doing, which is often, um, especially in, in DeFi, it's, um, it's quite challenging right now. Yeah, so I've heard of, you know, DAOs with legal wrappers being referred to as Laos. Um, I think there is a project called The Lao, but I think it's also uh, more generalizable than that. And I expect it to become um, an increasing precedent because, um, as you highlight, if that entity wants to contract, engage, but also uh, remove or reduce the liability for its members, for its participants, then it makes sense to domicile within a particular legal jurisdiction. Otherwise, you're, you're kind of uh, potentially open to uh, 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 action from any legal jurisdiction where a, a user may reside and interact with, with the system. And I'm sure you know all about that <laughs> from, a risk, from a risk perspective. Um, so more for the benefit of the, user, uh, the, the listeners. Um, but it's also interesting, you know, this idea that if you think about a lot of the regulation that exists 
in the insurance industry to date. It is to ensure a properly functioning insurance market to protect consumers, users, to ensure you know, solvency that an insurance firm could pay out if, if it needed to. And I guess the principle here is that you can do a lot of that through code. So whilst perhaps you don't have that legal regulatory burden because you're not a full-blown insurance company, you're kind of doing this discretionary policy, you, you in effect can and can provide greater certainty or comfort to a, a regulator just by, by the fact that you're executing on code uh, through smart contracts on a on a distributed ledger, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the the two. I mean, there's kind of two main angles of why you actually regulate. There's the consumer protection stuff about you know, does the product do what the product says it does? That's one angle. But the the reason you regulate from an insurance point of view um, is basically because as a customer of an insurance company, you're giving your money to someone else, and they are looking after it and um, making sure that they've got enough to meet the claim payments. So that's kind of the, the main reason you actually have all this prudential regulation. And, and so what we're saying is you can actually achieve that much better using, um, using code on a public blockchain. So um, basically you went non-custodial, you're not actually giving your money to anyone else that has control over it. Um, and so it's, it's all transparent. I guess the other big angle here is, um, you know, one of the reasons, you, one another reason you regulate is to make sure that um, everyone's got enough solvency and the consumers can be confident that there's like a minimum standard, like all insurance companies will have to be solvent to a certain degree. Um, and, and so here we're saying, look, we, we have real-time solvency positions on the entire mutual that anyone can look at at any point in time. Whereas um, in the regular insurance world, it takes you at least three months to produce a, um, after the, the, um, year-end date to produce a, um, a number to go into the financial statements that then everyone can look at and then the regulator can respond to. Um, and so like, we're just doing the same thing. We're kind of addressing the same principles um, about consumer protections and making sure that the money is there, um, but just in a different way. And so whilst we are regulated because we are a discretionary mutual, um, we're definitely following the principles about um, what, what we should be doing here. And we kind of use capital models that are very equivalent to the regulatory models that get used for in with throughout Europe. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to, that, that's, that's our approach here, but just do things with the same principles, but just in a different, much more efficient way. Yeah. And I think if you, if you look at that ability to effectively self-regulate, um, then that gets really interesting if you were a regulator, because effectively you're, you're beginning to see all the behaviors that you would want in the market with uh, a much lower burden of oversight, direct oversight, um, to make sure that that market's functioning correctly. And, you know, I, I've been in this space for many years. I've spoken to people in the insurance industry and, you know, very senior people. And they will often tell you, look, to be honest with you, we don't even really know the risk on our books um, on a real-time basis, just internally, let alone being able to prove that externally. So I think, you know, clearly there are some gains here. So do you see, do you see what you're doing as disruptive or transformative to the insurance and reinsurance industry proper? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I think we have the, there's a lot of talk about blockchain being used in the insurance world, but I think we're one of the only ones that are kind of truly trying to disrupt 
the, the current model. Um, there are the other projects are more just using it for like expense efficiency savings using the exact same approach. But here what we're doing is kind of um, really attacking the kind of core insurance entity and saying, look, we can do this in a much more efficient way now. Um, we can we can coordinate. I mean, essentially, insurance is coordinating a bunch of people to do something with a pool of money, and um, don't do the right thing with the pool of money. So, if you can create the right incentives using with you know, we, we have a token to kind of facilitate that. Um, and so, if you can create the right incentive structures, then you can do this in a in a much more efficient way, and you can have it run by the community and hand all the benefits back to the community rather than it, you know, being paid to the to the shareholders of the regular insurance companies. And it's and not only can you do that, you can do it in a much more um, consumer-friendly way because everything's fully transparent and stuff. Um, and you can also um, do it much more efficiently um, because you gain all of the... Um, you're basically like a Greenfield's fully um, automated insurance company, which you could build using non-blockchain tech, um, but, you know, it's it's still quite um, hard to, to get there. And so how does that... Um ecosystem or economy function i assume there are like a number of roles that need to be carried out in a distributed fashion could you just talk us through at a high level you know those those key functions roles that make effectively that game play out effectively and efficiently yeah so there's there's four main things you can do within the system uh, the first one is uh, you can buy cover so it's like being a simple you know end, end user and customer um, you kind of select the the um, protocol that you would like cover on. So for example, like Compound or Maker or Uniswap or something. Um, and then you can get a quote and you can purchase cover for a fixed amount in a fixed time period. And, and that's kind of um, the usual thing. And then, then they have some other functions behind that to make sure it all kind of works properly. And I guess the first one would be the risk assessment. And here is where it's essentially the underwriting process or the pricing process. And so that what you would do here is if you want to be a risk assessor is you can purchase an NXM tokens to start with, and then you stake those NXM tokens against contracts that you think are secure. So you, for example, you may think Compound is secure, so you can stake some against Compound. And when, um, when people do that, the more that's staked, the lower the price of people to purchase cover, and the more capacity or more cover can be, can be offered on Compound. Um, so that's kind of how that one works. It's kind of like, I guess, using prediction market techniques, um, a bit more structured than a prediction market, but, um, but that's kind of the, the idea behind it. And as a staker, you can earn rewards when people buy cover. Um, there's also downside, um, if there's a claim. So we want to make sure that people back the protocols that they're really interested in, that they're really confident in. Um, and so that's kind of the, the pricing side. And then we also have the, the claims assessment side. So anyone in the mutual can also decide to vote in on claims. So when the claims come in, um, they can also stake some NXM to participate. That's kind of your voting weight. And it's kind of like a weighted average vote. And you know, there's a few kind of tiers to it in terms of escalation and stuff like that. There's a bit of detail, but, um, but the point being is that the members decide as a group um, on an optional basis, you don't have to vote in claims, but you can, um, and and then they get rewarded like kind of like a fee for for providing work, um, and so that's kind of how the, how the claims work, and and then the fourth um, thing to really do is like voting covenants, which is kind of more kind of system level stuff. So you know we want to change this parameter or upgrade the contracts to do something else, etc., or add a new product or, or something, and and so anyone any member of the mutual can can vote in covenants as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating and clearly um, a model that's a great, great fit. I, you know, I've always felt that a cooperative-like model, in this case, insurance and, and mutual, would be the kind of predominant form of, of governance and coordination in, in, in these systems. It's great to see that kind of being played out here. So let's look at risk in DeFi. Um, could you unpack where you, as a, as a mutual, see risk, what you're currently covering and you know what, what you would like to be able to cover in, in the future and how you evaluate and price those risks? Yeah, sure. So I think um, I kind of classify risks in, in DeFi and stuff into three broad categories. And Nexus currently covers just the first one and we're looking to cover more of them. Um, and so the, the first one is kind of like the technical smart contract risk. So does the code do what it was intended to do, um, intending to do? And so um, it's very hard to code at like 100% perfect level all the time. And obviously there are audits and stuff like that, but there's always going to be some level of risk on that stuff. So that's kind of our core product right now. Um, and then, then there are kind of um, two more groups of um, two more classifications, and kind of one of them I describe as like external risk to the to the smart contract. So basically, the smart contract works, but there's something outside the smart contract that causes something odd to happen. Um, whether that's like an oracle that fails, so like a price feed, as an example, causes something odd to happen, or it could be like a governance attack. So you know, a lot of these protocols can change parameters or upgrade themselves if the people vote and potentially um, someone could buy up a lot of the tokens and attack the system and drain it if they get enough voting power. Um, so like that's kind of an extreme example, but you know, um, things like that can happen. And the third cl classification is, is probably like economic incentives. So a lot of these protocols are built with incentive structures to make sure something works. Um, so for example, the MakerDAO system is designed with an incentive structure so that the die peg holds roughly one US dollar. But if the incentives don't work quite right, um, then it could deviate from a, from a, from a dollar. And so um, if those are not in balance, then the economic incentives may not work. And so there's a risk there. And so th those are the kind of three broad risks. And um, there's obviously a lot of detail in terms of that. And it's hard to kind of, for regular people to kind of work out What's the right thing to, to do here? Is how much should I worry about this or not, et cetera? Um, and so it's important that we can develop insurance products or products we cover like Nexus that um, that can really cover the broader range. And so we're kind of working on expanding the, the um, I guess, comprehensive, into more comprehensive cover. Got you. So it'd be great to understand this, the system as it stands um, who are the users? Who are the participants? What kind of policy agreements are they having covered? I know I heard previously that uh, uh, policies around compound, there's been so much demand, it's, it's oversubscribed. Um, and, you know, at what stage and, and what type of institutional participants will, will join the system and, uh, on, its, on its evolution? Lots of people are interested in cover for basically, I guess, yield purposes. So, you know, the idea being that you put some money into Compound or some other protocol, earn a yield, and then you can buy cover on Nexus and cover the downside risk and get slightly less yield overall, but be in a much better risk reward um, position. So that's, that's the main idea. Um, and so things like Compound, um, we got some cover on Compound now, but you know it has been oversubscribed in the past. Um, we have been growing a lot recently as well, so it does change from time to time. But um, especially with yield farming kicking off in the last few months, that's been a real um, 
a great boon for us because obviously you can get quite high yields or you have been able to get very high yields. Um, and But who knows what the smart contracts, um, what the risk is involved because some of them are just put out there with potentially no audits and et cetera. So, you know, um, that's been a really good um, boon for us. In, in terms of who's buying cover, it actually like quite a wide variety of people, like just regular crypto people, but the most cover is actually being bought um, by smaller institutions, I guess I'd describe them as like, you know, hedge funds or basically people participating in DeFi earning yields, but they're probably managing other people's money. So they're more risk aware um, in terms of downside risk than, than just, um, I guess, regular um, people just gambling a little bit of money in DeFi and seeing what will happen. Um, and so that's that's definitely our main market is more the institutions or smaller institutions, you know, institutions is kind of a big um, yeah. bucket of bucket of potential, like, you know, smaller to large. But um, it's, you know, I think that's more where we're going to be seeing um, our customer base from our majority customer base from because they just tend to be a bit more aware of these things and it's more of a key requirement for them getting in. And I assume you know centralized exchanges, people engaging with centralized exchanges. Um, I've also heard you talk about how some protocols themselves and and certainly people maybe combining what you might refer to as deep DeFi, multi-protocol DeFi, taking out cover as well, right? Yeah, so um, so we don't do this right now, but some of the things we're, we're working on are um, stuff where you can cover like stacked protocol risk. So for example, like some protocols are built on top of other protocols, like all this composability. And if um, if you want to get complete coverage with Nexus, you're going to have to buy a few different covers to um, cover all that stack. Um, but what we want to do is make it much easier for the for the regular user you know to just get something that covers the whole thing in one go so we're working on stuff like that there are other products and other things within DeFi. like um one thing we can do is potentially provide specific tailored cover for a protocol and i guess you know one example could be that i mean in some protocols like have like insurance funds internal insurance funds built yes. off them um and they you know they trigger under certain circumstances so what we could do is actually link nexus into that process and go look nexus will take the first i don't know 10 million of cover or something like that and if something happens then it injects a claim and then um you don't dip into the insurance fund until that happens or you can have it the other way around but you know so something like that where you create this tailored product to um to assist the the protocols because it's interesting like a lot of those protocols will have the final backstop being oh we mint more of the native token <laughs> yeah. and 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 you do that at a point where if, if you're doing it it's likely at a point where the token might be um like a very low value because um there's obviously a serious issue um of some description and and so you're kind of minting tokens at the worst possible time and so you really kind of want to um avoid that situation and so hopefully you know nexus could provide a um some level of solution for, for that type of thing yeah, well, I'm thinking, you know, just even with Outlier, we work with 30 startups a year at different levels of the stack, each assuming different degrees of risk. Um, and, you know, this is the kind of thing that I would certainly be recommending all of them should be taking out in one way or the other in order to help them manage risk and give greater surety to users, especially, you know, the closer to the, the edge they are of innovation, I guess, the higher the risk and um, therefore the higher the higher the requirement. So I can imagine this becoming an expectation of not just 
institutional investors like venture capital, but increasingly with things like fair launch, maybe one of the considerations is, is that, you know, um, entities take out sufficient cover before they can uh, launch. Um, so let's maybe kind of continue in that theme about expanding where all this could go. Um, so as you said, you're, you, you function like a DAO, but you're not quite a DAO. I'm assuming if you're not already doing so, um, you'll be looking to leverage uh, more and more oracles with greater degrees of sophistication. Um, and I don't know if you're also looking at turning insurance contracts into NFTs that could effectively be resold in secondary markets, even used as collateral and earning yield and stuff like that. So uh, of all the innovations you see in Web3, which do you think are going to be most relevant to this maturing insurance reinsurance market on DeFi? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot to there's a lot of different angles here, I guess. But um, that first one is like we're obviously looking to expand the product um, set and the different you know, types of risks that we cover. That's kind of step one. Um, it's it's interesting. There's um, been a um, on the NFT angle. There's actually been um, why an integration with Nexus has actually effectively done that themselves, and so they've turned Nexus Cover into an NFT that can be traded and sent sold, and you can um, buy and sell them on variable right now. So um, it's that's actually really quite cool. Um, and so, like you know, we didn't even do that. Um, Andre building himself. Um, so, like that's that's been a um, that's been a really interesting thing, and it kind of to me really shows the power of what Web three can do. Um, you can tokenize stuff that you couldn't tokenize before and who knows what will happen <laughs> um, after that. Like, I kind of think we're doing things that seem intuitively like the next step, right? Um, or stuff that we've done before, just better from the regular financial world. But there's, a, there's going to be this whole class of stuff that we haven't been able to do um, that, that we now will be able to do. And we just haven't quite got there yet. And that's what kind of what um, really I think fascinates me. Um, and what, I guess one of the things is, you know, you can tokenize anything in theory. And so how do you um, then compose all of those together and do new products and new things that are, that are actually quite um, like, yeah, fundamentally different to how the regular financial world operates. So I think um, insurance is like part of that. Like one thing we, we have been talking about is once you can turn the cover into an NFT, you can actually convert that um, NFT effectively into slices um, and and create like bundled tokens. Like so, you have like a yield bearing token, and you you create that together, combine it together with a um, with the part of the NFT effectively, and you can create a yield bearing covered token that. Um, it's just a new product that people can move around, but you don't actually have to do anything apart from just purchase a new token and you've got the covered version. Um, and so stuff like that um, is really crypto native that is and is just impossible to do in, in any way in the regular financial world right now. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, history rhymes, but as you say, at the same time, you know, we're moving into a weird and wonderful space. And because it's a permissionless environment to innovate um, and because of the composability, the, the, the possibilities are almost limitless. And to be honest with you, I mean, I don't know what your perspective is, but um, it is easy to talk down on DeFi um, because of its imperfections. But it, I see it's almost impossible to discount the industry and, and, and where it's going to go because the rate of innovation 
the efficiency that's possible and therefore the potential for yield to go direct to participants feels almost impossible for the incumbent industry to compete with, right? It's just, I don't know, what's your perspective? Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, the stuff that's coming out in a week is just phenomenal. And like, even if 90% plus of that fails, um, some of it will stick and some of it will work. And, and the speed with which you can do a new financial product or experiment um, is just um, so much quicker. It's like, you know, if it takes you, it can take you two years or more to come up with a new financial product in the regular um, yes. financial world. Um, whereas here you can spin it up in, you know, a few days if you've got some coding knowledge and just trial it at a really low level and iterate on it. And that, has to lead to new things um and it has to lead to it's just the speed's gonna um it, it will eat um regular finance in my opinion it's just it's just a matter of time um and so i think that that type of um approach i mean you know there's obviously downsides to it because you know there can be scams and um things that don't work and experiments will fail and all the rest of it but i think underlying the the fundamental principles are really powerful and I've, i i believe that it's just going to keep growing and be more successful yeah i mean i think the net benefit as you say if you uh, if you you know uh, subtract um any of the malpractice that goes on whilst the industry is relatively nascent and then you look at the net benefit over the next decade um and because the fact that you can have greater assurances around order stability and 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 solvency and everything else all the things that ultimately regulators are there to, to make happen um it almost feels irresistible and of course insurance itself is an enabler for that innovation to happen it's a way of managing that risk um Hugh, it's been great having you on. Um, I'm really excited to look at the possibilities of, of Nexus and, as you say, how how people then take what you're doing and, you know, apply it into, uh, wrap it up and apply it and mint new things and FTEs and stuff. It's going to be fascinating to watch. So thanks for coming on the show and, and good luck with everything. Cool. Thank you very much. It's been great to chat. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.